we have men who rely on the perfect one, on the perfect father. And we're grateful for men who trust and rely on God, who seek to raise their children up in the fear, the admonition of the Lord, to, to know and love Jesus Christ, who sacrifice their lives, lay down their lives to serve and, and love their families, to teach them to live by the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to highlight is that we are dependent fathers, and so we're grateful for dependent fathers. Amen? So guys, if you are a father and you didn't get this little twine-covered gift card to Starbucks, um, there are some out in the lobby on your way out. Please uh, grab one of those, uh, or not grab one, that's a little aggressive, isn't it? Uh, please, please receive one of those from us as a small thank you. Uh, we are grateful that you would choose to be here with us on this special day. Um, as we get started, yeah, thank you, absolutely. Yeah, if their dad's here, we can cheer for them, we can clap for them, that's all right. I, I, love, I love that one of our dads was, was so confident, one of our dads up here on stage was so confident that he had a, had a shirt that says, I think it's the greatest dad ever, is that what it, best dad ever. You know, I think um, that's how God sees us. Each and every one of us, even if, you know, that's maybe be debatable. We could take a vote later or something. Um, but I love it. I love it because that's actually how God sees us. Uh, dads, you are probably more often aware of, of all of your weaknesses and failings and may not dare to wear a shirt like that. But you know what? That's how God sees you in Christ. So anyway, thank you. And that was really cool, by the way. Thanks for wearing the shirt this morning. That was excellent. What would you say... Church, what would you say, as we get started here, what would you get say to a church that's put their identity in the things that the world puts their identity in? What would you say to a church that, that a people that put their identity in fame or in power or in influence and prestige and a name, what people think of them, their accomplishments? What would you say to that kind of church? What would you say to a church that was corrupted by the influence of the world and didn't even know it? What would you say to a church that had become complacent and was actually okay with all kinds of crazy sin in the church? That never exercised church discipline, that, that didn't correct their members. What would you say to a church like that? What would you say to a church that's divided and divisive? What would you say to a church like that? Would you say to a church that's full of proud people and to split into factions around who their favorite teacher and who their favorite small group leader might be. What would you say to a church like that? What do you say to a church that tolerates sin? What would you say if that was this church? What would you say if that was you? What would you say if it was your fellow members, your fellow church members? What would you say to them? What should you say to them? What if it was them or if it was you that was sinful and proud and self-righteous and divisive and tolerant of sin in your own life? What would you need to hear? What would you want to hear? You see, in, in God's mercy, by his kindness, he, he gave some specific words to people just like that. He gave words to people like you and me, people who are proud, who tolerate sin in their own lives, who are self-righteous, um, who, who tolerate being like the world around them, who put their identity in the things that the world puts their identity in. Because if we're honest with ourselves, this really is us. And I don't mean that correctively, like this is a messed up church, but you know what? To some degree, we all are messed up, right? We're all messed up. We're all tempted to put our identity in things that the world puts our identity in. We're all full of self-righteousness and pride. We all tend to judge each other. We all are tempted to put 
to separate into factions, right? And we need to hear God's word that is just as timely. When, when it was written around 55 AD by this guy named the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote a letter to a church in Corinth. And they needed to hear what God had to say about them and to them. And, and you know what? Th- these words are relevant today. And as I was reading through the entire book or, or letter to the Corinthians, I was just struck with, with how many commonalities there are between them and us. Now, I don't mean specifically that we're seeing this kind of gross sins in our church specifically, but you know what? We see them in the church in general, and we see some of the very same seeds of these sins in our lives. And, and what do we need to hear? What do the church in Corinth need to hear? Well, I think really the, the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 1 is what they needed to hear to begin with, because you know what I would want to do if I was in a church that was full of this corruption that they were full of? I'd want to just correct them. What do you do when your fellow believer sins egregiously? Don't you just want to correct them? What do you think they need to hear to begin with? Isn't it just correction? But that's not what we hear. Look down your Bibles in in 1 Corinthians 1. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're just going to read the first three verses here. We're going to kind of open up the letter to the Corinthians. We'll be in the letter to the Corinthians for a long while in the church. I'm not going to guarantee how many weeks. I I made the mistake in John of of guessing how long it would be, but um, actually it was only about three Sundays longer. I guessed a year. It was 55 weeks, I think, in the book of John. We're not going to be 55 weeks in in Corinthians, but I don't know how many, right? So, but we're going to be in this book uh, to the Corinthians because it's, it's relevant to us to know how do we live when we're surrounded by a culture that doesn't love Jesus, that that isn't serving him, that isn't living for him, how, how in the world can we live for him? How can we live holy lives in the middle of an unholy world? So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1. Read God's holy inspired word together. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, may we hear these words to the church in Corinth as words spoken for us. May we hear you speaking through these words timelessly today. May we hear what we need to hear. May we learn what we need to learn. May we we put our hope in you as a result. God, for all those who are aware of their sinfulness may we hear these words may all those who are aware of somebody else's sinfulness may we hear these words from you god may we find our authority our identity and our hope in you in your word we pray in your name we pray amen well these verses speak something that that we need to hear that the church in Corinth needed to hear. They didn't immediately need to hear correction. He didn't say, um, Paul didn't write and start saying to you, hey, you Corinthian church, you're messed up, and let me tell you, you got to change. He does correct them. 
But he doesn't start with that correction. He starts really giving them three important things. He starts giving them an authority. He starts by saying they they need to see that their authority is God's word, that he is actually mitigating the the word of God to them. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. They need to see that their authority comes from God's word. They also need to see that their identity flows from God's word. And and then, then they need to see that their hope is in God's word. Because you know what? If if people are in need of correction and all they hear is correction instead of who God's word says they are and, and where their hope is, there's no hope for change. First thing that Paul tells them, though, is, is something that might be strange to us. He, he gives them authority. He tells them who he is, who, who is speaking here, and he tells, them, he tells them who he is. He says, Paul, I'm an apostle. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of arrogant, Paul. Why are you doing that? Well, because they need to hear that they have an authority that's not them, and it's not the world around them. They need to hear that they have an authority that comes from God. It's mediated from God through Jesus to Paul directly, and this is God's very words to them. They need to hear that because they were living by other authorities. They were living... Trusting in other hopes. You know what? We're tempted to do that too, aren't we? We're tempted to live as if, as if maybe political figure is your authority or health figure is your authority or as somebody around you is your authority, that you're living by them. And that's, that's your authority. And, and to some degree it's true. I mean, people can get into trouble when they don't understand who their authority is, right? Kids, when you, you ever done something, this was me when I was younger, you know, I, I would do something bad and then, and, and, and I would think I was getting away with it and I would laugh and, and my 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 siblings would be around and they would have this serious look on their face and I'd be like, what? And i turn around and there's my parent, you know, right behind me. I, I, I failed to understand that I had an authority and, you know, they kind of cleared their throat and I discovered, boy, I'm in trouble. You know, if you're in school, maybe if you've ever, ever been in that scenario where you're cutting up or you're doing something, you don't realize your, your teacher or your principal's behind you. Not knowing who your authority is, not recognizing that authority can get you into trouble. When I was in business, I knew who my boss was, right? You know who your boss is if you're in business. I mean, you, you know who that is. You know who your authority is. No matter if they say, hey, I'm your friend, and I want you to treat me like a coworker and treat you like a buddy, but ultimately you have an authority because you can get fired. There's consequences. I knew who my boss's bosses were. I knew who I needed to listen to, who was important, and who I could ignore. I knew who had an authority over me and, and whose words matter for my career. And, and the Corinthian church needs to know that they have an authority and that Paul's words to them matter. And we need to hear that too. We can't just, just open your Bible and think, oh, this is good advice. You need to hear that when we open up God's word, it's not just good advice. It is good advice. But it's more than that. It's, it's God's very words to us that speak to us, that have an authority over us, that are meant to guide and to shape our lives, that we're meant to live by, that we're meant to submit to. And so Paul, he tells them who he is. He says, Paul, called by the will of God. Now, he, he's not the only one called by the will of God because he tells them that they are called as well. But, but he's called in a unique way. He's called to be an apostle, and, and there was only 12, then 11, and then, then Paul. So, and then, so there's 13 total replacement for Judas that the apostles had voted in and then Paul came along later as when he says untimely born when Jesus appeared to him. The, the prerequisite for an apostle is that they would have seen Jesus, been commissioned by Jesus directly and that they would have been given their commission and, and their authority from Jesus. So Paul is saying this word comes as an authority from Jesus Christ to you. And he wasn't alone though. He says I'm, I'm called 
And you're called by God. You're called by God as well. And he's also not alone because he's writing with somebody, somebody named Sosthenes. You might be wondering, who in the world is Sosthenes, right? He, he's not a figure that comes up a lot in your Bibles. In fact, I think he only came up one other time in your Bibles in, in Acts. So I'm going to turn over real quick to, to Acts chapter 18. We're going to see who this Sosthenes is. Acts 18, I think we have it on the overheads, I believe I put it in there this morning. Um, Acts 18, verses 1 through 18. So Acts 18, verses 1 through 18. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. This is telling us about how the church in Corinth got started, in case you're wondering. Because he was of the same trade, Paul, Paul was a tent maker just like they were. He said he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And then when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own hands, I am innocent. From now on I'll go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went next door. And then we see in verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, they, hearing Paul, believed and they were baptized. And Paul, he's planted this church in Corinth and there's great fruit. He, he's, he's sharing the gospel and the leader of the synagogue who he shook out his clothes and said, your blood be on your hands, has repented. And, he, and these Gentiles, they're responding and they're repenting and fruit's being brought. And, and then now Paul's aware that there's some opposition, but yet God comes to him in verse nine. He says, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, don't be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months. That's how long Paul was in the church in Corinth. That's how long he founded the church there. He visited a couple other times, but that's how long he was there to begin with. And he was teaching the word of God. It says, but when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. And they brought him for the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul is about to open his mouth, about to give his defense, Gallio said to the Jews, if, if it was a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But it's just a matter of questions about words and names and your own laws. And see to yourself, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And so he kicks them out. And, and they were upset, probably, because the, the guy who was supposed to make this charge against Paul did a bad job. It wasn't effective. His name was Sosthenes. This is, the, this is the one probably who was in, in, in charge of making an accusation against Paul. He was the ruler of the synagogue. And it says, then they seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After that, Paul stayed many days longer. And then he left and went to, to Syria and took with him Priscilla and Aquila. So the church was founded that way, and yet we see something that's really incredible. We see that this church, it, it was made up not only of, of Jews and Gentiles, it was made up of people all over the place, but it was made up of this guy who was with Paul now. His name is Sosthenes. He's been converted. He's become a believer. And why does Paul add him? He, Paul adds him not just because Paul's saying, I, I have an authority as an apostle, but I also have an authority because I know you. And Sosthenes, he knows you. He's been among you. He was a ruler together with you. You need to listen to what we had to say. And it's not an accidental mention. When, when we hear God's word, it, it's, it's written to us, it's written to us from Jesus Christ himself, 
for us to hear, for us to submit to. And it's written by one who knows us personally. We don't, we don't need Sosthenes. We, we have the one who actually knows our frame. He knows that we're weak. He knows everything about us. And we're responsible to him. We're meant to live by his word. And the second reality I think Paul intended as he's writing this letter is that, is that God's word is meant to give us our identity. God's word is meant to give us our identity. You see, he doesn't start by saying, hey, church in Corinth, you are messed up. That's your identity. Church in Corinth, you're a bunch of wicked sinners. You're gross. You're disgusting. You need to be corrected. He doesn't start with that, does he? But you might expect that. You might expect that. How do you... How do you identify yourself? You know, when you, when you introduce yourself to somebody, you walk up to them and you, you maybe say, hey, what's your name? And, then, and what's some of the first questions you ask? You, what do you do for a living? Why? You try to, we try to categorize each other, right? Into our identity. We try to figure out where, what people are like, what their identity is. And, and we form our identity based on what people do maybe or, or how wealthy they are. Maybe it's by your likes, your dislikes. How do you think of other people in the church? How do you, how do you think of their identity? What do you think of other people in the church? Is it their accomplishments? Is it their position? Is it what, they're, what they do or have done? Paul lets them know, this church that really struggled with identity issues, that struggled with putting their identity in their own self-worth, in their reputation, in honor, in their name, in, in money. By the way, you ever struggled with any of those things? You ever struggle with putting your identity in, in your reputation or what people think about you or your wealth or lack thereof or your position? How are you tempted to put your identity in those things? Well, Paul, he, he reminds people who were putting their identity in those things actively, he reminds them where their identity is. You know why? Because this is the church, it's, it's riddled with, with all kinds of division and dissension about their identity. They're, they're separating based out on factions. They're saying, I'm a, I'm a Paul, that's my identity. I'm of Apollos, that's my identity. I'm a Peter, that's my identity. And Paul says, no, your identity here, your identity is that you are the people of God. You are the church of God. You are those who have been called by God. Called by the will of God, called to be saints. They were claiming this superiority based on their identity and who they followed and in every group they were saying that they were superior and, and in this culture around Corinth um, everything was based on status and, and influence and power and prestige and honor Corinth wasn't about old money because about 146 years before or 150 years beforehand they had been destroyed and, and then Corinth had been rebuilt maybe about 100 years prior to this letter, and they'd become a prosperous city really quickly because they were situated um, in this little land piece right between the, the mainland of Greece and this, this little Peloponnesian peninsula, and there's this little four-mile-wide bridge of land that is called the Isthmus of Corinth, and, and then Corinth was right there, and they become really wealthy. They become wealthy for a few reasons because this, this, this strategically located city, it was the best place for ships to actually cross. They built, they built this road with rollers on it, and they would take ships, and they put it on these rollers, and they'd take it across so that people could avoid a 250-mile-long trip around this Peloponnesian Peninsula. They could avoid the big storms because they had small ships back then. So Corinth had become wealthy very quickly. And people who made a lot of money in the church, they were seen as impressive. That's not too different today, right? To view people as impressive because they made a lot of money? Anybody here in that guy named Jeff Bezos? Anybody here of somebody named Steve Jobs or Steve Tim Cook or Bill Gates or people like that? 
Are you impressed with that? You're like, whoa, that must be amazing to be worth however many billion they're worth. Wow. Or, or maybe you're impressed by, by people like Mark Zuckerberg who've, who've made uh, an empire for themselves or whoever you're impressed with. It, people are easily impressed by those who are successful or seen as successful in the world's eyes, who've made a lot of money. In the church in Corinth, they were like that. They wanted to be influencers. They wanted respect. They wanted fame. They wanted notoriety. How about you? Do you ever, you ever tempted to, to, to re- respect those things, to admire those things, to maybe see somebody who's become like this YouTube star, this Instagram famous or whatever, Pinterest famous or whatever it is, and you think, man, that must be great. Wow, they're impressive. You know, this church, they wanted to, to belong. The people in the church wanted to belong to the happening church. They wanted to be in the cool church. They wanted the, the church that was most good. They wanted to belong to the church with the best speaker, the best things, the most influential. They were tying their identity to people and worth and value and things all the world ties their identity to. And so Paul writes and he says, you know what, you need to hear, you need to hear that you're the church of God. You're not the church of Corinth because that's actually how they refer to themselves because of the church of Corinth. No, he says, you're the church of God in Corinth. You're in the world, but you're not of it. You're, you're the church of God. Church, you're the ones who belong to God. That's what you need to hear. You don't belong to the world. You belong to God. Where do you go to church? You know, I go to such and such a church. You know, oh, isn't that so-and-so's church? Isn't that Stephen Furtick's church? John Piper's church? Isn't that Will Broadus' church? Isn't that Perry Noble's church? Isn't that Richard Phillips' church? Isn't that... They were identifying themselves that way. I don't think everybody who does that, is, they're being proud, but, but think about it. We're, we're not that. We're not identified by who our, who our pastor is, who the speaker is. I don't ever want you thinking of this as Matt Rawlings Church, Aaron Campbell's church. That's, that's, that's not the way we should think of this church. This is the church of God, the church that belongs to God. And so he writes to this church in Corinth, and he says, you're God's church. It's who you belong to. That's your identity. And I don't want you to get nitpicky, by the way. Don't go correcting somebody when they say, you know, I go to the such and such a church. I'm like, well, that's not, actually, that's God's church. Mm, don't do that. But, but Paul focuses on their identity. How do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as belonging to God? Do you think of your fellow Christian maybe in this room, or maybe your fellow Christian you have a difficulty with is not in this room. Do you think of them as one who belongs to God? That's their identity. Paul continues to focus on their identity in the opening. Look, he says, to the church of God that's in Corinth, and look at what he says. He says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, now, what's the word sanctified mean? It means to be set apart, to be holy, to, to, to be consecrated, to be cleansed, to be purified, and he's writing this. Now, get this. Paul writes, he says, to the church in Corinth, the church of God that's in Corinth, and listen to this, he says, to those sanctified. That's how he views them. And you're thinking, really, Paul? Now, if, you, if you're new to Christianity, and if you're new to the New Testament, or maybe you've just not read the, the letter to the Corinthians, then you don't know that the church in Corinth was anything but sanctified as far as their experience, right? And so you really want to ask, really, Paul? Is that what you want to start with? Them? You really, to those who are sanctified? Do you know what's happening, Paul? Isn't that pushing it a bit too far? Come on. They had really unsanctified problems in their church. It was a worldly place. It, it, it prided itself on, on tolerance and intellectual wisdom and wealth and education and, and, and sexual freedom and the ability to do whatever they wanted. And in fact, by Paul's day, the very word for, it was coined by Aristophanes in, in antiquity, it was to Corinthian, Corinthianize, it became mean to practice fornication. 
There was Alciferon, a second century writer. He explained why he didn't go to Corinth. He says, I learned in a short time the nauseating behavior of the rich and the misery of the poor. The people in the church were proud. They were, they were proud about the spiritual gifts that they've been given. And, and there's, there's a word for being puffed up or making arrogant. And it's, it's only found seven times in the entire New Testament. Six times it's found in this letter. They aren't arrogant people. Paul says they're sanctified. What? And, and, then, and then the New Testament uses this word for boast. It uses the same word for boast 53 times. But you know how many times it's found in, in, in the letter of the Corinthians? It's, it's found 35 times. He says that you boast. Don't boast. Don't boast. You're boastful. Don't boast. You're proud. You're arrogant. And Paul says they're sanctified. That's how he views them. That's their identity. That's their identity that informs and precedes any correction. And in the city for Corinth, it was, it was famous because they had this hill called the Acro Corinth, and on top of that was this, this temple to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of sexual love and pleasure and beauty. And they were known for, the city was known for illicit pleasure, immorality of all kinds was rampant and accepted as the norm, and it was tolerated. And you know what? The church was complacent about sexual immorality in their midst. It was so bad that, that Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 5.1. You, you can look at that later. We'll see that in the, in the coming months. In 1 Corinthians 5.1, he says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. So this is a church that tolerated things that, that people who went after the cult prostitutes of Aphrodite didn't tolerate. And Paul says they're sanctified. Makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit, right? Like, what, Paul? They're sanctified? How, how can you call them this? There's all kinds of infighting in the church too. Paul, he corrects things. He says, you're taking each other to court. You're suing each other. Instead of, instead of reconciling biblically, you're going straight to court. And instead of giving up your own rights, you're, you're, you're demanding your rights. And then other ones of people, they were, they were using their freedoms to do whatever they wanted. And they were like, I don't care if this meat was sacrificed to an idol. And they say that, hey, this is, I'm eating this meat in the name of whatever, Zeus. I don't care because I don't believe in Zeus. Yeah, but the people around you who actually just came out of that cult of Zeus might struggle. And Paul says, but you don't care. Um, they got together, this is so bad, and in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, he says, I don't commend you. He says, because when you get together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Now, how, how would you like that said about this gathering? What was church like today? Oh, man, I, I, it's way worse now that I went to church. When we got together, I wish we hadn't. And that's what Paul says, when you, when you get together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. You make things worse by having church. That's not why we go to church, right? We go to church because we want to we feel better. We want to hear encouragement. And Paul says, you make things worse. The rich, they bring foods to their community meals where at the end of the meal, they were supposed to celebrate communion together. And instead of doing that, the, the rich would, would bring all this food and brag about their food and then wouldn't share that. And, and then they wouldn't even share the bread and the wine. And so... The poor actually didn't receive communion when they were supposed to, and, and the rich were getting drunk, and people were going away hungry, and yet people are priding themselves as a church, and they're priding themselves based on their spiritual maturity because they had these gifts and happening things were going on in the church, and 
Man, there was prophecies, there was tongues, there was healing, there were all kinds of crazy things going on in church. It was great, but they were proud, and they thought because they were wiser, that's why these things were happening. And yet Paul says to those sanctified, what in the world? How could he call them sanctified? Sanctified? The Corinthian church? Paul, really? Isn't that overstating it? But you know what? That gives us hope, doesn't it? When you get up in the morning, what about you, when I, when I look in the mirror when I first get up in the morning, when I first get up, my first thought not, is not normally, man, I'm totally sanctified. I, I'm holy. That's not the first thing I think of. I don't know about you, maybe it's just me. I'm not primarily aware of that. Now, it's not that I shouldn't be, but you know, when you get up in the morning and you're aware and you're thinking you're a loser because you just remember all the things you forgot to do the day before and all the things you've got to do today and you're more aware of your sins and your failings and your weakness, when you're more aware of your own tolerance and your own life of maybe sexual immorality and lust in your heart and your mind, when you're aware of your pride, your idolatry, when you're aware of all that you're not, just how whole, unholy and unrighteous and unsanctified you are, what do you need to hear first? You need to hear that your, your confidence to even get up, your confidence to try again that day, to, to start anew that morning, is the fact that if you've placed your faith, your hope in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, is that, that God has made you sanctified. That's who you are. That's your identity. That's what they needed to hear too. That's what that church full of messed up people needed to hear. That's what this church full of messed up people needs to hear. You know, I sort of, you know, I don't go to church anymore. My wife met a lady this past week and she was like, yeah, I used to go to church, but I don't go anymore because it's full of hypocrites. And I'm like, yeah, sure it is. But we're hypocrites. We need to admit it. And then we need to hope in the fact that we are those who have been sanctified, not because of us, but in Christ Jesus. We're not sanctified. We're not holy in ourselves. Let's not pretend that we are. Let's not pretend that that in and of ourselves we're good enough, okay? We're not. But here's who we are. He says to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Oh, thanks be to God that we are sanctified and holy in Christ Jesus. That's where our identity is. And that's what you need to hear if you're going to have any chance of changing any chance to stop sinning. It doesn't start with correction. It's not because those things don't need to be corrected in, in, the, in their lives and not because those things don't need to be corrected in your life. There is much in need of correction in my life and your life too. But there's, there's hope. There's hope for change because we've been sanctified. We've been, we've been made holy and righteous. You know what that means? That means we can come before God. Because if you weren't sanctified, if you're not sanctified, there's no way you can come before God to have any kind of help. All you can expect is judgment and wrath from God. And here's the crazy thing. If you've been made sanctified, you will never, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, this is what this means, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you trust that, that he was punished for all of your nastiness, all of your unworthiness, all of your sins, if you put your trust in that, the fact that, that God punished him for everything you've done, past, present, future, you hear the future part, by the way, too? If you put your trust in, in God for that, because he says he has taken all the things that you deserve to be punished for, because you know what? You do deserve to be punished. You did, at least. But he's taken every bit of that punishment, every, every guilt, every condemnation you feel you deserve, he's taken that if you put your hope in Christ, and he's put that on Christ. 
And so now no punishment remains, no condemnation remains. You've been sanctified. That doesn't mean you're perfect right now. It means that he's, he's declared you perfect. He's declared you holy. He's declared you sanctified. He's declared you as set apart for him. Now you can come before him without any fear of rejection. That's how I need to start my day. Oh, Lord, I know who I really am, but Lord, you say who I really am. That's my identity. I need to be reminded of who my identity is. That's what you need to be reminded of. Messed up church, messed up believer, your identity is in Jesus Christ. You're sanctified in him. You have all the worth and ability you need. That's your hope. That's your identity. Correction and change in your life, it starts with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It rests on the fact that we've been called, we've been set, af- we set apart, we've been sanctified. And in God's calling, he's, he's called us. His calling was effective. It woke us up from our sins. His calling drew us out of darkness. His calling drew us to him so that we could hear him. His calling made us alive so that we could respond and call on his name. And if you called on the name of the Lord and been saved, then you can be sure that you've been sanctified and called to be saints. He says you're saints. Now when I think of the word saints, I... I I think of somebody in, in, in his, like, I don't know, Middle Ages picture with this, this golden halo over them and maybe it's Athanasius or whoever your favorite saint is or Augustine. But that's, that's not reality. The reality is, is that each and every one of us has been made saints. Not by the vote of some pope, but by God's decree. And, and what it means is that you've been voted on by God. You are a saint. You are a holy one before God. You know, we're, pro- we're prone. I don't know about you, but we're prone to discouragement. Anybody here ever prone to discouragement? You can raise your hand. Come on. If you're prone to discouragement, you're ever prone to be aware of feeling like you can't change. You ever feel like you can't change? Here's the hope. You've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are saints in him. You've already been made new. You've already been made holy. And, and here's the other news too. So have all the people around you who have put their faith in Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't think everybody here is a believer. I, I want it to be the case. But for all those who are, here's our hope. Boy, your fellow believer who you are annoyed with, who talks too much in small group, or who doesn't talk at all in your small group, or who just goes on and on, who bothers you, has preferences and opinions that you don't like, that you clash with, they are your fellow sanctified believers in Christ Jesus, and they are saints, and you don't just need to be viewed that way, they need to be viewed that way too. Instead of primarily being aware of correction that they need, they first need to hear who they are in Christ, and so do you. You know, maybe, you ever gotten frustrated with somebody? Somebody else because they sinned against you yet again? And you thought, how could they? You ever ever had the thought? Come on, be honest. I mean, how could they do that? Maybe it's your brother or sister. Or maybe it's your parent or your child or somebody in your small group or somebody you looked up to in church or somebody you're disappointed with who lets you down. You thought, "How, how could they do that? I can't believe it. The, the people in, in Corinth must have been tempted that way. Paul must have been tempted that way. Paul was a human, by the way, after all here, right? He started the church and he left and he's like, how in the what in the world? But he doesn't do that. He says, you, you need to know who you are. You belong to God. You are saints. You are sanctified. That's where we're going to start, church. Maybe you keep going back to the same old sins. You wonder, is there any hope? You need to hear what the, the Corinthian church need to hear, that their hope is in God's word. God's words are hope. That's, that's the third thing that Paul's giving to them. 
He's giving hope to them. God's words are hope. He says, for all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's, whose name do we call on? Oh, the Lord. Oh, you mean the one who is over heaven and earth, the one who's the creator of all things. We call on him. Oh, he's able to help us. There's hope, church. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for the fellow, unbe- fellow believers in the church who are messed up. There's hope for the church in Corinth. He's the Lord, and not only that, he's the resurrected Lord, and that's going to be a theme that we see reappear all throughout this book. Really, our identity in Christ and, and, and the fact that God's word and the identity has an authority over us and the hope in Christ, um, that's really what Paul unpacks the whole rest of the letter. They are an unholy church. They're living unholy lives, but they've been made holy. They've been made sanctified. They've been made holy ones. And yet Paul tells them, you need to remember who you are and live with him as your hope. And what that looks like is saying no to ungodliness, grounding everything in Jesus Christ our Lord. Grounding your hope in Christ Jesus. Grounding your hope is that we have a Lord. He is able. He is strong. And how do we know that? Because he's been resurrected from the dead. He has power over life and death. He has power over your life and my life. He's strong. He's conquered death. There's hope for you to change. There's hope for your fellow believer to change. Why? Because we call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the other part of our hope. He says, their Lord and ours, he says, grace to you. Oh, our hope is that because we've been made sanctified, because we've been made saints, because we've been made holy, we do receive grace. We can receive grace. We we will receive grace. We, because we've been made holy, we can come before a holy God and not receive judgment, condemnation, punishment, but we can receive grace. And, and God's not angry with us anymore. He says, peace, because you've been sanctified, because you've been made holy. Grace and peace are ours. That's our possession from God. That's what God gives us. That's his disposition towards us to all those who've been made holy in Christ Jesus. That's good news, Right? That's good news. We have hope. We have a great Lord, Jesus Christ, who gives us his grace, who gives us his peace, who's made us holy in the midst of an unholy world all around us. And we're called to be saints. That's our calling. Along with everyone in every place who calls on the name of the Lord. We're not in this alone. That's our hope, God's grace, his peace. And he's not left us alone in that either. It's, it's nice to have the favor of somebody rich and powerful, but it's even better to have the favor of God. This is, you have God's favor. Church, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have the favor of God, the most powerful being in existence, whoever has existed. And you have peace with him. He could squash you, and it would be right, and yet he doesn't because he's put all punishment on Jesus. So now you have peace with God. We receive grace and peace, the very favor of God from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we need. Church, if you're gonna change, if we have hope for change, if the Corinthian church is gonna change, they needed to hear they were sanctified. They were holy. They've been made holy. And they, now they're gonna hear how can they live holy in the midst of an unholy world. That's just really the theme of of, of, of the book, the letter to the Corinthians is, is, is living holy in, an, in the midst of an unholy world. Living holy in an unholy world. That's, but how do they do that? Where does it start with? 
Oh, it starts with realizing that God's our authority. And if we trusted in him, that, that he's made us holy. He's our identity. We're, our identity is in Christ Jesus. And that he's made us sanctified and holy. And we have favor and we have hope. And so now we can live holy lives. Amen? That's our hope. And let's give that hope to each other as well. Let's pray. Get in the band, go ahead and come up and we'll sing. Father, we are so often aware of our deficiencies, and we are deficient. But God, you are the all-sufficient one who has made us completely holy, righteous in your sight for all who've called upon your name, all who trusted in you. God, I, I know that there may be some here who have not trusted upon you and not, not called upon you, not placed their faith in you. I pray that you would enable them to do that, to repent, to believe, to turn away from their sins and to put their trust in you. And then, God, I pray for us as a church that you would give us joy, joy in our identity in you, that we would set aside putting our identity in anything else. Lord, we would see that you're our authority and you, you tell us who we are in you and that our identity is found in you, that, that, God, you've made us righteous and you've made us holy and that we have hope because we have your grace and peace. Father, I pray for specifically every dad who's aware of their inadequacies. God, would you give them hope that they can receive, they have received grace and peace from you, that they are sanctified, that they are holy in you so that they can then start to be the dad that, that you've called them to be. God, I pray for all of us here that the same thing. God, may we revel in the fact that you have made us sanctified, messed up people been made sanctified. And Lord, may we rejoice and may we sing full of gratitude. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.